Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. Our current sermon series is from the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we continue our series in 1 Corinthians, we come to the middle portion of chapter 10. And we're going to break chapter 10 down into three different messages. We saw the one last week and then today we're going to be looking at what I've entitled a real danger. And then next week we'll, we'll wrap up this uh, section on Christian liberties. And uh, Paul, as he nears the end of the section on Christian liberties, chapters 8, 9, and 10, he really seeks to drive home his argument here in chapter 10. And, you know, again, if as an adult, as a parent, and on Mother's Day we even think about that, often as a parent you kind of drive home your argument and as many opportunities as you get, you kind of hammer that argument in. And especially as you're coming to the end of it, you want to give it one more shot. And that's really what Paul's doing here. So pick it up with me in verse 14 and we'll read down just through verse 22 this morning. He says, Therefore, my beloved... Flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And again, I hope we haven't gotten lost in this whole argument because the question that the Corinthians ask Paul, if you remember, is not a question that's really on our minds today. But the, the, the very big issue for the Corinthians was, can we eat meat that has been offered to idols? And uh, Paul has already acknowledged that those who have knowledge that idols are not real gods, they have liberty to go ahead and eat. And again, this is not our issue. So the question is today, do we have the right to, do we have the liberty to, you know, we, we looked at some of the things, you know, dance, do we have the right to drink, do we have the right to do this, do we have the right to do that? And what Paul is saying here is those who have knowledge, those who understand uh, and understand their Christian liberty have liberty. However, that's not the end of the argument. And if, you know, if, if 1 Corinthians were to end in chapter 8, we would all say we have liberty and we can just do whatever we want. But chapter 8 continued into chapter 9 and now into chapter 10. In chapter 8 even, Paul can, can appeals to the fact that, yes, you have knowledge, but you need to consider what? Love. We need to ha consider how this is going to impact other people. And before I go ahead with my Christian liberty, you know, it, it, Paul encourages us not to insist on having to exercise that right because of love. We balance it out with love. In chapter nine, he points out that self-denial 
a foregoing of our rights. Yeah, I have that right, but I'm not going to exercise it can actually strengthen us spiritually and make us more effective in our testimony and our ministry for Christ. Just as self-denial and self-discipline strengthens the athlete to make him able to win the prize or to win the game or to win the race or whatever it might be. He gives up things that maybe aren't that bad in and of themselves for that which is better. Now in chapter 10, Uh, Paul builds on that analogy, the analogy of the athlete, by pointing to the nation of Israel as an example, and specifically Israel there in the wilderness, in their wilderness journeys. And there in the, the, the wilderness, Israel, Paul shared with us last week, played with their desires, if you will. They were undisciplined. And ultimately, because of the fact that they were undisciplined, they were disapproved by God. And they did not receive the prize. They did not enter into the promised land. You say, wait, the nation of Israel, yes. But you remember 38 years, they wandered in the wilderness till that adult generation all died away because they did not receive the approval of the Lord. Only Joshua and Caleb made it in. And then Paul drives home the the argument that Israel had every spiritual advantage to, to win the race. They, they, you know, they had every advantage to to be approved by God. And Paul appeals to us in verses 12 and 13. We are no stronger than them. Look back at verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And there Paul says the danger is real, folks. You may have liberty in this area. But there can also be danger in that liberty. You may have the liberty to do this. You may have the liberty to do that. But is it it going to really be effective in your Christian life? There's a real danger here. The danger, you can't play with your desires. Remember, you can't play with your desires and not expect to get burned. The man who thinks that he is strong enough to stand against his desires to sin is headed for a fall. And sometimes that's exactly where we're at. We are trying to be so close to the world. We are exercising our quote unquote Christian liberties and we want to be so close to the world and we think we'll never fall. Paul here says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, don't be foolish. You can't play with your desires and not fall into sin. Our only defense, verse 13, is the faithfulness of God And in God's making a way of escape for us. And our only defense is using that way of escape. In every test that comes along our way, in every temptation, God has provided, because of his faithfulness, he has provided us a way of escape so that we may be able to bear it. You know, God makes that way of escape, but we have to take it. We have to take that way of escape. And there are no alternatives to God's way. Paul is now going to apply this, everything that he said to this matter of eating meat offered to idols. And again, I don't want you to get lost in that question. Think about Christian liberty, whatever it might be in your way. But in specifically here, there were three ways that a Corinthian believer might be faced with the problem of eating meat offered to idols. 
The first possibility is that they were invited to a, a, uh, a, a festival or a feast or a, a banquet that was actually being held in an idol's temple. And so they were eating at a social hall. Perhaps they'd been invited to a birthday party or perhaps they had been invited to an anniversary party of a, of a friend and, and the, the party was actually in the idol's temple. And Paul said, you know, that's one way you're going to encounter this problem. A second encounter. Second way, they may encounter this issue when they go to the market to buy their meat. And the meat that is being sold to them may have been offered to idols. And third, the third way, they may encounter this issue when they're invited to somebody's home. The home of an unsaved person, an unsaved friend who had before, you know, they cooked the meat, they had offered that meat to idols. And Paul's going to deal with all three. How do we deal with that? Well, in the passage before us this morning, in verses 14 through 22, Paul deals with the first of those possibilities. Eating at festivals or socials uh, that are located actually within an idol's temple. Is that wise for us to get that close? To sin, if you will. Again, you're not going to maybe come up with that, but what about going places? What about going places where a Christian maybe should or should not? What about going places where things are going to be going on there that, that are not really uh, very positive? What, are, what about going to, to places where, where I could be tempted to sin? And that, that's our analogy this morning. Uh, and uh, let's look at that today. Now, we start with a simple command. We have no PowerPoint today, so hang in there with me. Uh, we, we're, it's Mother's Day. We got a lot going on today. So uh, a simple command is where Paul starts in verses 14 and 15. If you notice in verse 14, Paul begins with what word? Therefore. And we understand that when he begins with therefore, he's pointing back to what he's just talked about. Because there is a real danger in playing with your desires. In light of Israel's failures in this area. Because we are not able to stand against temptation. And because God has provided a way of escape. Therefore, this way of escape needs to be used uh, in the matter of idolatry or in the matter of our desires. Paul says, because of all those things, therefore, take, take note of that way of escape. Notice what else he says in verse 14. Therefore, my who? My beloved. I think... In this case, Paul is trying to turn this command into a plea. I love you people. And I, I, I beg you, take note of what I'm saying. Yes, this is a command, but I'm trying to not make it a harsh command. Do this. I'm trying to, to get you to do it because I love you. Therefore, my beloved, here's the command. Flee from idolatry. Let's insert whatever it may be into that category, whatever sin that we maybe are struggling with, whatever desire it may be. Flee. Other places he told us, flee youthful lusts. Flee this. Have no part in that. Flee. 
The way of escape that God has provided for us, it requires us to do what? Flee. It doesn't require me to get as close as I possibly can. It's, you know, God says, run, flee. You know, in my Sunday school class over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. And last week we were looking at that great temptation where Potiphar's wife says, lie with me to Joseph. And Joseph does what? Flees. He doesn't stand there and think about it and talk about it. No, he has already made up his mind. I'm out of here. And that's where we ought to be when it comes to our desires. The way a believer is to meet the temptation of idolatry here in 1 Corinthians 10 is to remove himself from anything that even resembles it. The way for me to gain victory in my spiritual life when it comes to areas of desire is to remove myself as far away from anything that might even resemble it. Paul says, don't go deliberately into temptation and then expect God to deliver you. Don't try to see how close you can get to the edge. Instead, turn and run away. Now, their motive for eating in an idol's temple, your motive for going wherever it is you may be going, may be pure. They may want to build a relationship with an unsaved person around them so that they can witness to them at a later time. And I know that that's out there, folks. I know that some of you think that it's okay to go here or there or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to, to, to make friendships. I'm trying to establish the relationships so I can later witness to that person. But Paul says you're being naive about that. For the danger is real and you can't play uh, with sin. In this case, you can't play with idolatry. Folks, separation is necessary and a necessary part of the Christian life. We must not sin. We must not even associate ourselves with, that, with, with sin. We must never compromise with sin. We must not in any way compromise. Now, again, let's insert whatever issue it may be for you. Paul says, be careful. You may have the Christian liberty to do this, but is it going to lead you into sin? Is it potentially going to lead you? Is it going to hinder your testimony? And, and you know, throughout the book, Paul has been using a little bit of sarcasm. I like sarcasm. and I know that sometimes that's not a good thing, but I, I, I like sarcasm. But in verse 15, some people think he's using sarcasm. I don't think he's using sarcasm at all. He says, I speak as to wise men. I don't think he's being sarcastic there. I think he's pleading with them in love. You people are smart. I'm speaking to you as wise people. I want you to understand this. Judge for yourselves what I say. Paul wants them to see clearly what they're doing. He speaks to them as people who having sound judgment. He's trying to help them see clearly as to the danger in what they were doing. Paul says, judge for yourselves what I say. In other words, consider carefully what I'm telling you. And discern for yourselves whether this is indeed wise counsel. 
And Paul's now going to show them the danger of what they are exposing themselves to by their actions. And we can apply that, folks, we can apply this to every area of our life. We can apply these next verses to every area of our life. The point he is going to make is that eating of sacrificed meat and drinking of sacrificed drink involves communion. All right. We're familiar with that word. Fellowship with the sacrifice or with the one to whom it is being offered or with those who made that offering. And the question is, should should that be part of a Christian's life? Yes, I have the liberty to eat meat offered to idols. I have that knowledge. An idol is nothing. But Paul's now going to show us there's more to the story than that. That brings us to the second thing. And and in the second thing, we see a striking comparison in verses 16 through 18. As Paul uses two examples from Scripture that we're very familiar with to draw this comparison. The first example in verses 16 and 17 is the Lord's Supper, what we call communion, uh, the Lord's table. He says in verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Paul Paul uses the first example to try to help us to understand that when we eat meat offered to idols in an idol's temple, we are fellowshipping with that idol. You say, wait a minute, an idol is nothing. Yeah, I understand that. But Paul says, let's think about that for a moment. He speaks of the the cup of blessing there in verse 16. You see that phrase? And we note that it is not the cup that blesses us for drinking. And sometimes we, we get mixed up even with communion. You know, it's not blessing. We are not. Remember what I tell you when we get when we have communion. Taking communion does not what? Does not save me. Just like baby dedication this morning did not save that child. Taking communion does not bestow grace upon me at all. The cup of blessing is a, a the, the we're not being blessed because we drink It is that cup which we bless. And and what we mean by that is we give thanks for that cup. For the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word communion really is another word for fellowship. So communion, to have communion means to share with someone or The word really means to hold together. So when we drink of that cup, think about the Lord's table. When we drink of that cup, it is surely an indication that we are sharing in the sacrificial offering of the blood of Christ on the cross. And those who are drinking the cup are identifying with that sacrificial offering of Christ on the cross. We are identifying with who? Christ. We're identifying with Christ. The same is true, verse 16, with the bread which we break. And Paul says there, you know, does not our 
breaking off a piece of that bread or, or grabbing a piece of bread, a cracker from that plate in, and eating it imply that we are sharing in the offering of the body of Christ as our sacrifice for sin. You see, partaking of sacrificial things links us to the offering that is being sacrificed. There is a oneness there. Look at verse 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. There's a uni unity there. There is a oneness. There is fellowship. I don't know if for you, but, but communion, and that's one of the reasons I, I try to build the whole service around it because it's a special time for believers, whereas we are one body and we are remembering and thanking Christ for what he's done for us. And there's a special bond here. That's why it's only for believers. It, it has no significance for an unbeliever. They don't even un really understand what it's all about. It's all about what Christ has done for us. And so Paul is using that to, to, to argue about eating meat offered to idols in an idol's temple. He says there is oneness, there is unity, there is fellowship among the worshiper as we sit together at the Lord's table. You understand that? The fact that we partake of one loaf, even though it is broken into many pieces, indicates a oneness. We are one body in Christ. Each participant identifies himself with the sacrificial offering. And, and thus the participant as a whole makes up, all the participants as a whole make up one body. We share in common. And so think about that. Do I have the right to eat meat offered to idols? Absolutely, because an idol is nothing. But if I go into an idol's temple, and again, I understand this is not the issue, but it, Paul's argument is this. If I actually go into the idol's temple and partake of the fellowship and partake of the food that has been offered to an idol, I, in a sense, am making myself one with the worship that's going on in, in that place. If I go here, or I go there in my Christian liberty by very, the very fact that I enter wherever it is or by the very fact that I gather with whoever is there implies fellowship, implies that I am one with those folks and whatever they're doing. I may have liberty, but is that where I ought to be as far as fellowship and communion is concerned? Look at verse 18. The second example is that of Israel in the sacrificial system. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Paul said the same thing can be said of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, such as the Passover. The meat that was offered in the Passover was also then eaten as the people are identifying with the sacrifice. And so the eating together of the Passover meal really becomes an act of worship. They are in fellowship with the altar. They are in fellowship with the God of the altar. It is more than just eating food. It's an act of worship. 
So when you are involved in whatever activity you're involved in under your Christian liberty, Paul says, be careful. Because by the very act of being involved there, you are, you are joining forces with those around you. And in this case, he says, you have the right to eat meat offered to idols. We understand an idol is nothing, but those people in that room, they think it is. They think that idol is something to be worshipped. And by them eating the meat, they are actually worshiping the idol. And when you join in, yeah, you have the Christian liberty to do that. But when you join in, you are actually in fellowship. You are in communion with them. You are, in a sense, worshiping the very same idol. And so that brings us to the last thought, and that is a solemn conclusion in verses 19 through 22. Paul concludes by saying, what, what am I saying? And that's what some of you are saying right now. What are you saying? You know, what am I saying, Paul says? What is the point I'm trying to make? What's the conclusion from this comparison? And the conclusion is simply this. Look at verses 19 and 20. Idolatry is more real than you think. What am I saying then that an idol, verse 19, is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Paul is not equating heathen sacrifice with the Lord's sacrifice or with the Old Testament sacrificial system. You can't compare an idol to God. We know that an idol is what? Nothing. You can't compare a heathen sacrifice to a biblical sacrifice. But there is a point that needs to be made. And the comparison comes in the, manner, in the matter of communion. The comparison comes in the matter of fellowship. To eat of those sacrificial things implies fellowship. Whether an idol is real or not, I am fellowshipping with those who think it is real. I am partaking then in whatever the reality is behind the idol, right? What's going on behind the altar? And Paul brings that to our attention there in verses 19 and 20, that while idols are not gods, we've already seen that, right? Is an idol anything? Come on, help me out. No, nothing. Wood, stone, whatever, doesn't mean a thing. However, what's behind the idol? Idols are the instruments of Satan and his kingdom. Idols are Satan's counterfeits to turn people away from the worship of the true and the living God. There are thousands and thousands and maybe even millions of people gathering today in churches or temples or whatever, or have gathered this week in churches and temples who are not Worshiping the true and the living God. And in a sense, they are worshiping who? Satan. That's not Satan worship as we, we hear of it, but they are Satan is delighted. I believe Satan is the father of religion. Satan is delighted when we gather to worship anything other than God. Because we then begin to think, hey, I'm okay. I'm going to make it into heaven. 
Idols are Satan's counterfeits to turn people away from God. Any supernatural power connected with an idol then is demonic, Paul says. And so demonic spirits are behind and in all idolatry. So when people then offer a sacrifice to an idol, which I know is nothing. But when they offer a sacrifice to that idol, they are actually offering sacrifices to demons. Read Deuteronomy 32, verse 17. Read Psalm 106, verse 37. So this participation in idolatry is really to fellowship or to have communion with or to share with demons. So when you partake of sacrificial meat and drink, Paul says to the Corinthians, that which you have the Christian liberty to do. When you do that in an idol's temple, you are in reality sharing with demons and you become one with a demon. And as a believer, we know that we should never fellowship with demons. Idolatry is more real than you think. Secondly, look at verse 21. It's inconsistent for a believer to eat at the Lord's table and then eat meat in an idol's temple. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table table and the table of demons. You can't participate at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ and then go from there and, and eat at the table of a demon. You are not to share in the sacrifice of Christ, which is demonstrated by the bread in the cup and then share in the sacrifices of demons, which is demonstrated by eating at the tables of demons or in an idol's temple. When you do so, look at verse 22. You provoke the Lord to jealousy, just as the nation of Israel did. You know, you bring about, when you do that, Paul says, you bring about the disapproval of the Lord. Notice how he ends. Are you stronger than God? You know, are we stronger than him? Do you really think that you're stronger than God and that you can stand against God? You can't play with God. You can't play with the things of God. Don't think that you can stir up God's disapproval and then be able to stand when he moves in discipline. We only need to look back and remember the example of Israel to see what the result will be. Being separated unto God involves a separation from all that is against God. That includes idolatry. That includes immorality. That includes all kinds of sin. You cannot play with sin. The way of escape from sin is to flee. Folks, we need to separate ourselves from anything that has anything to do with sin. Anything that has anything to do with idolatry, certainly. But anything that has anything to do with sin. You know, I'm sure that some of you out there are thinking, what in the world have we just listened to? I don't get the point. The point is simply this. I think if Paul could say it to us this way, and in a couple of weeks we're going to have communion. Or, or let's even think about this. Today we came to church. 
Some of you are going to leave here where we have fellowshiped with God, the living, true and living God. Some of you are going to leave here and go out into the world and get involved in things that a Christian has no business being involved in, even though we may have Christian liberty. Because of the, the, the fellowship that is there, because of the, the activities that are there. I have a right to go there. Yeah, you might have that right, but is it wise? Yeah, you might have that right, but how, is it consistent? You have walked away from the worship of the true and living God and then you're going to go do X. You're going to go do Y. Whatever it may be. Separation is a very, very important thing. God says, come out from among them and be ye separate. That doesn't mean that we never do anything. And again, we have Christian liberty. But we exercise that Christian liberty balanced by love. Balanced by how it's going to impact the world around me. How it's going to impact my brothers and sisters in Christ. How it's going to impact my un unsaved friend. If I do this activity, if I go there, if I'm involved in this. Next week we're going to say, is that bringing glory to God? And that ought to be our question. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church, located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.